0: And welcome to Useful Idiots. I'm Katie Halper,
2: and I'm Mary Matte. How's it going? It's going well. Uh, that was a great debut of the Useful Idiots Colin show
0: uh, yeah, on so the Colin app ad-
2: after we did Monday morning the other day.
0: Yeah. So for people, in case you you may not know this, but every Monday we do a live uh, segment of Useful Idiots on YouTube. It's called Monday mornings, and we basically are responding to the Sunday morning shows that we watch so that you don't have to, we do that Mondays at 10 AM. You can catch it live. And now we're adding on at 11 AM, right after that Monday mornings, we are doing a call-in call in show. And call-in is this app that you can download for free and you basically listen to us and you call in with your questions. It's pretty cool.
2: And thanks to everybody who called in and uh, we'll be doing it again next week. Yeah right after and, Monday morning, uh,
0: after Monday mornings and if you're more of an audio person and you want to hear our Monday mornings where we go over these cable news shows uh you can uh find those audio episodes pot- as a podcast at uh subs- at our substack at usually it's at substack.com so yet another reason to join our substack so many reasons. So many reasons. You can hear Aaron talk about being on Tucker Carlson, why he does it. You can hear Aaron talk about being in uh, toy commercials, why he did that, why he was a pawn for the mirror, why he was the face of the mi- military industrial complex, the Canadian uh, segment. The military industrial
2: toy complex.
0: Toy complex. Yes, yeah, that's right.
2: Well, we got a lot of food groups to get to before oh, yeah. food groups should we get four to it
0: groups. yeah let's do it so we, i got democrats suck this week and boy oh boys, is this a fun one so uh wilson if we could just show this tweet from mother uh by mother of course i'm talking about hillary clinton and she tweeted out just in time for galentine's day and the news that trump was flushing documents down white house toilets a limited edition hat is in the onward together store now and then she, uh, has a great photo of herself wearing a hat that says, but her emails, it's kind of a nineties vintage, uh, is that nineties or two thousands? I'm not sure what it is. I'm, I think nineties, late nineties, early two thousands, kind of Senator Clinton era. Um, and she's wearing a hat and onto that hat is cropped, uh, or is Photoshopped, but her emails, uh, because you can, uh, buy one of those hats, Matt, can we click on the link that goes to her onward together store? So if you, if you check that out, it's a great hat. It says, "Butter emails, you can get it in charcoal. You can get it in black. You can get it in Navy. Wow. Wait, Aaron, are you sitting down? Sitting down, please. note: black and Navy are currently sold out. Check Ugh. back soon for updates.
2: Oh no. Yeah. Oh, no. So oh, no.
0: I just want to make sure that you guys know that. Uh, and if you go, but, but the good news is that, uh, Onward Together has lots of products. Matt, could we go to the shop and just see what, what other kinds of products we got? So that is a onesie. It's Hillary Pantsuit Onesie. And, uh, it's super soft one piece with a three snap closure, hundred percent cotton. So you can get a little onesie for your baby. That's a pantsuit. If a pantsuit were put into a onesie, uh, it has a pearl necklace. In fact, if you click on the other thing, Matt, uh, there we go. Okay. You got, you got, you get a sense of what your baby would look like in one of these Oh, uh, the poor child, the poor child, Chu cute child, not nice chubby forearms. I, I yeah. do appreciate a chubby forearm. What else do we got? We got, uh, all sorts of products we got, of course, never stop believing that fighting uh, for what's right is worth it. Hillary Rodham Clinton, uh, thing. We got some f- images of her with Rodham, which is interesting. Cause like she didn't really go by that name her in her entire uh career. We got butter emails, mugs, we got butter emails, masks, uh, we got but her emails with that iconic uh wearing sunglasses, holding up her cell phone. So you know there's there's everything you could ever want. You got tote bags, you got sweatshirts, you got onesies, you got t shirts, and then you got of course the kind of LGBTQ onward together rainbow shirt. So every you're covered.
2: What if I want to honor Hillary's work in bringing slavery to Libya? Is there a is there some merchandise for that to They
0: shouldn't. That's actually a good question. They should make like um, shackles. Yeah. They should make like Hillary theme. Hillary, I don't know. Maybe she could sign them, engrave them with her uh, signature instead terrible. of cufflinks. <laughs> or yes, oh, that well, would be a good idea. Little mini shackling cufflinks, so you could actually wear them, but they look like shackles. Yeah, <laughs> that would be a good idea. What else could you get a little bayonet honduras what could you i went to honduras and all i got was this you know something with femicide booming Uh, femicide industry so uh, much to celebrate her for uh,
2: such a legacy such a legacy it's a legacy
0: we could actually having some shattered glass ceiling stuff where like we see her shattering the glass ceiling and a bunch of people are like covered in glass rubble underneath her (laughs) the
2: possibilities really are endless With yeah they're endless
0: yeah I don't know. I think it sucks. I mean, Democrats suck in so many ways. This is a little bit a little light, Democrats suck. It's just Hillary's never-ending self-promotion.
2: Well, for Republicans suck, we're gonna continue with the light-hearted theme. Uh, this was an ad put out by a Republican Senate primary candidate named Jim Lamont, who's an energy executive. And he decided to have a little fun with guns.
0: So they got like a Wild West that we set up for people who It's a DC gang! Some people walking these guns. Old Joe says, Shifty Kelly. Mark Kelly. Mark Kelly. Crazy Face Pelosi. Okay, so we got Mark Kelly, Joe Biden.
2: Oliver is in big Jim lane.
0: We're tired of being
2: pushed around! And inflation!
0: And open borders! And gas prices!
2: The good people of Arizona have had enough of you.
1: It's time for a showdown. Jim Lehman and I approve this message. All
0: right. So for people who are are just listening and not watching, can we got to describe what just happened? So there's like a a show. You want to describe it, Aaron? You want me to?
2: There's an old style Western showdown between uh, Jim Lehman, who's the Senate Republican primary candidate and Joe Biden, Nancy Pelosi and Mark Kelly, who is the is a senator from Arizona. The townsfolk say they're tired of high energy prices and open borders and uh the democrats draw their guns first but jim Lehman responds by shooting at them and shooting yeah. all the guns out of their hands a really uh fantastic sh- uh marksman jim is. layman yeah, is very good market. and then they and then the democrats run away and a and, very kind uh, of
0: like almost like laurel and hardy type of waddle
2: yes 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 and um look on top of the optics of just featuring a politician shooting at other politicians you have the particular symbolism or just just offensiveness of one of the democrats being right. senator mark kelly who is the husband of gabby giffords who was shot and seriously yeah. injured yeah, and then became a, a prominent um, gun control advocate right but apparently that didn't occur to any of the people making making this ad
0: well, it's you see, Aaron, what you're failing to realize is his marksmanship really makes this quite different because he was able <laughs> to just shoot at their guns and knock them out of their hands. I mean, this is major self restraint for a Republican, <laughs> right? There's no actual vi the, the bullet doesn't hit anyone. You're of course right that it's incredibly tone deaf and insensitive, given that his wife was almost killed and one of her aides was killed uh during the shooting. You know, when you're as skilled a marksman as he is, you don't have to it doesn't have to be lethal the shooting.
2: I guess really a it's a pro one. marksmanship ad, not a It is right. deeply offensive uh, ad. It's really just, it's really just advocating uh, premier marksmanship.
0: Yeah, exactly. Which is why, you know, if only people were better at guns with guns, we wouldn't have these problems.
2: Yes, that's right. That's right. I mean, but <laughs>
0: assuming that they, other people don't want to kill people, which isn't true. So I'm just trying to be generous here to, to layman.
2: Well, I mean, if we're not being generous, then my takeaway, is that for doing an advertisement in which you shoot at the husband of a uh massacre of a gun massacre survivor uh, of a shooting then that is a good example of why republicans suck
0: yeah it's true (laughs) I, i think that's a fair republicans suck This episode is brought to you by the Jordan Harbinger show.
2: Want a new podcast to look forward to each week. One that's entertaining, informative, and packed with actionable content. Come on, of course you do.
0: The average podcast listener has six shows in rotation. So you're most likely not just listening to useful idiots and that's totally okay. In fact. I'd love to share a podcast to add to your list.
2: The Jordan Harbinger Show, a top shelf podcast named Best of Apple in 2018, only four years ago. So don't just ignore my suggestion to listen to this one like you probably do with your other friends who tell you to listen to podcasts.
0: Because Jordan delves into the minds of fascinating people from athletes, authors, and scientists, to mobsters, spies, and hostage negotiators.
2: Guests include Anderson Cooper, Matthew McConaughey, Mark Cuban, and even Ulrich the Mole Larson. I don't know who that is, but I'm sure he's really interesting.
0: Yeah, he sounds Scandinavian. Those are always good people. Mm. Search for The Jordan Harbinger Show. That's H-A-R-B as in boy, I-N as in Nancy, G-E-R on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts.
2: Visit jordanharbinger.com slash start.
0: So let's move on to Isn't That Weird? And this is, a, this is actually a fun one, and we're going to church. I'm going to take you to church for this one. Wilson, can you take us to church? All baptisms performed by Phoenix priest invalid because he changed one word. And this is an interesting, this is actually quite fascinating. So uh, a priest resigned earlier this month after his diocese discovered the baptisms he had performed were invalid because he had changed a single word while performing the sacrament. It is with sincere pastoral concern that I inform the faithful that baptisms performed by Reverend Andres Arango, a priest of the Diocese of Phoenix, or invalid Bishop of the Diocese of Phoenix, Thomas J. Olmsted announced in the letter last month. This determination was made after careful study by diocesan officials and through consultation from the congregation for the doctrine of the faith in Rome. Okay. So Aaron, don't look at the article. I'm going to read you what he said. I want to see if you can guess the word that was wrong. Okay. Okay. All right. Arango who had been practicing as a priest for more than 2 decades used the phrase, quote, "We baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit." and quote. So what which of those words do you think was
2: incorrect? We baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son
0: and of the Son and of the and Holy of the Spirit.
2: We baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I have no idea. What's wrong with that? We. Ah. Oh. Let me
0: quote. Olmsted, who explained the issue with using we is that it is not the community that baptizes a person, rather it is Christ and him alone Mm. who presides at all of the sacraments. And so it is, it is Christ Jesus who baptizes the Vatican congregation for the doctrine of the faith in 2020 clarified that using we during the first sacrament was not valid. So he should have said. I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. But the thing is, isn't that kind of like I'm not I don't know my Catholicism that well, although I'm I, I'm actually a big fan of Catholicism. I think it's quite moving. And, and the, there are some good Catholics out there. Catholic uh, Daily Worker, you know, liberation theology. I'm a big fan of liberation theology. But uh, isn't that in some ways? I mean, it, it's not offensive to be I guess like priests are the representatives of JC, but it's almost like cosplay. Can you really say I,
2: I, yeah. As if you're the representative of Jesus Christ, I well, guess you are it. the
0: representative of Jesus Christ, but that to me makes it sound like you you're, you're pretending that you are Jesus Christ.
2: Right? Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Right? Shouldn't it be we yeah.
0: priests, we representatives of Jesus Christ.
2: Yeah. Uh, I mean, that makes sense to me. And Maybe that's, we could
0: start a letter writing campaign. So I, I think that's our pretty,
2: verses, that, that's pretty inconvenient. History. All those baptisms nullified.
0: Yes. Yeah, so, and it's unclear how many he's done, Oof! but you got to rush your, what if, I mean, how also, how long ago is this? We're going to have to get some like a taught, you know, older kids baptized, maybe adults, depending on how long he's been doing it.
2: There's going to be a long line at that church.
0: Yeah. Really long line. I mean, hopefully not. I mean, if well, some of them have died since and they're going straight to hell.
2: That would be drag. If you expect him to go to heaven and you get to hell because your priest did the baptism wrong, that's uh that'd be a I drag. Th-
0: it wouldn't be a drag, but I kind of feel like Jesus, if he's not a putz would let you in anyway.
2: I believe in that. Absolutely. Right? Jesus is not a putz. Jesus is not is a not putz. A putz. No. Yeah.
0: He's no. a nice Jewish carpenter, socialist tendencies, mm-hmm. middle Eastern. <laughs> I like the guy I'm a Jew for Jesus. So it's a little weird though. Also what kind of snitch went after this guy? That person's going to hell in my book.
2: That's a serious myth right there. Definitely going to hell.
0: So that's my isn't that weird.
2: So for isn't that terrible, I know we usually keep things lighthearted around here, but this is just so terrible that I wanted to highlight it. This is Biden's new decision where he is going to steal money from the people of Afghanistan who are going through a major crisis and divert it to the families of 9-11 victims, a lot of whom are openly against this, by the way. But basically,
0: of the family of the yeah victims. people
2: are speaking out against it now because it's so horrible. So basically, after the U.S. pulled out of Afghanistan, U.S. has frozen billions of dollars in Afghanistan's money, and has not given it to the Afghan government, which the Afghan government needs to help provide for its people. And Biden just announced that instead of unfreezing this money, he's going to steal it, divert half to humanitarian aid, and give the rest to the families of. Nine, eleven victims. And The Times has had this article where they're talking to people in Afghanistan who feel betrayed, like Fazal Ahmad, a shopkeeper in Kabul who says it is a cruel act and a betrayal of the rights of the Afghan people. It is clear that the poor economic situation right now is due to the u s. economic constraints on Afghanistan because it's not just the freezing of Afghanistan's money, but it's also, these crippling sanctions aka economic warfare that the u.s has has maintained on the taliban-led government and this is just an outrage this is outright theft and it's like basically making the afghan people suffer even more for something they had nothing to do with with 9-11 that was committed by mostly saudi hijackers and it's not as if the u.s is ever is trying to freeze any saudi money in fact the u.s Biden is is authorizing new weapon sales to Saudi Arabia after, by the way, on the campaign trail, he was promising to treat Saudi Arabia as a, quote, pariah. So this is just one more slap in the face to everybody. And so far, there's a little bit of um, pushback from progressive Democrats. Pramil Jayapal, Uh, she put out a measure that wanted to just study the impact of U S economic warfare against Afghanistan. That's it. Just study it. Not like outright oppose it, but just study it. But even that got defeated in the house.
0: Aaron, I, I think we need to study this. It's not clear to me how not having money and starvation affect people's quality of life. I mean, it could be, maybe it makes you more appreciative of things when you're about to die, when your family members are dying, when people are starving, maybe that's like, it really puts things in perspective.
2: So really what, 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 what the U.S. could fund is a wellness study for, with Afghanistan as a test case to yes. see how people respond when they're being deprived of their basic needs and that whether there are any positive right. psychological benefits that result from
0: it. I mean, you know yeah. what they say, the thicker the mud, the more beautiful the lotus. Whatever doesn't <laughs> kill you makes you stronger. That's right. People sometimes in times of despair, they really lean into kind of like non-attachment. They're more open to Buddhism, perhaps.
2: You know, that's what the U.S. could provide to Afghanistan instead of its own money. They could send what's her name, that pop star, Katy Perry,
0: yeah,
2: who who sings that song, "Whatever Kills You," whatever doesn't kill you makes you stronger. No, Kelly
0: Clarkson.
2: Kelly Clarkson, sorry.
0: Yes, she can go. She
2: can go to Kabul and sing that for the people of Afghanistan. Whatever. The problem with that is this will will kill. Is that what? This will kill people in in Afghanistan. Uh, Depriving them of food and medicine and their money will kill people. Right.
0: Right. So for anyone
2: who doesn't kill that they, they could hear that song and draw the appropriate life yeah. lessons from it.
0: Right. That would be great. And then Katy Perry, since you mentioned her, now I'm just thinking what inspiration people could draw from her. Like, um, you're going to hear me roar. That's mm-hmm. a very inspiring song. Yeah. So there's, I think Amer- there's a lot of American pop music that has a lot of lessons for people. I can't, I'm sorry. I can't even believe this A fucking study to study the impact of this?
2: Yep. That's what Pramil G. was proposing, just to study the impact. And that couldn't even pass the House.
0: These people are such fucking ghouls. It's so disgusting. And then their argument is like, oh, their argument, right? It's like, we can't let it get into the hands of the Taliban, which is actually, we actually, Aaron, I'm gonna ask you seriously. Can you respond to that? Because I actually know people who are not insane, who who, who parrot that talking point.
2: Look, first of all, it's not, Our right to decide whether foreign governments can access their own money right that's just a authoritarian standard would somebody argue that welfare recipients in the u.s shouldn't receive welfare because their government invades other countries and starves other countries i mean it it's just ridiculous yeah it's a it's a sadistic attitude to have and it's and it's it's imperial i mean if you believe in that you the u.s has the right to dictate to other countries what they can do with their money then Mm -hmm. i suppose you can take that stance but if you you don't if you believe that countries actually have sovereign rights including the ability to access their own money and provide for their people then you have to oppose what biden is doing and and the fact is you know it's always like whenever the u.s goes after a foreign government and people say we can't let you know what like we can't empower whatever the bad guy government is it's the people who always suffer The people in government in afghanistan will be fine the uh, leaders always find you know ways to provide for themselves because they're in power. I mean, that's just how it works. Right. It's the people uh, of these countries that will suffer. And that's the point. It's not as if you know people say policies like this backfire, they don't work. They do work because the right. point is to inflict suffering on the population to sow enough unrest and discontent so that they basically overthrow their government or turn against their government. That's, that's what it all, that's what the US aim is. And that's what it's doing all around the world right now whether it's Afghanistan, Venezuela, Cuba, Nicaragua, Syria, Iran, it's the same playbook everywhere.
0: Although, do you think that that I think that's true in all the other countries you mentioned, you think that's true in Afghanistan? Or is it just like vindictive sadism? Like, do you actually want Mm. think that they want people to rise up against the Taliban now?
2: No, that's a good point. I I actually do think that vindictive sadism is just a very key part where the US was humiliated. They fought this war for 20 years, had to withdraw. Biden got attacked for it from the pro-war lobby in Washington. And so it's just yeah, it may perhaps just out of spite. Yep. They're trying to punish the people of Afghanistan for it. So
0: disgusting. It's really disgusting. As if also, let's say, as you said, it was not. I mean, it was it, the, the people were, were from Saudi Arabia. Right. Osama bin Laden was from Saudi Arabia. The hijackers were. But even if it had been from let's say the people had been from Afghanistan who who were behind 9-11. The idea that you would just, pub- I mean, I guess it's on brand. You, you punish an entire civilian population.
2: Yeah. Uh, and by the way, the Taliban, you know, after 9-11, the Taliban offered to hand over right. bin Laden to, uh, to if the U.S. could provide some evidence that he was involved in 9-11, which the U.S. refused to do, Yeah. although they, they could have tried to make a, a case. And also, they also offered to hand him over to a, a third country where he could be tried in an Islamic court. Right. The U.S. also rejected that, too. So you know, and and then and before 9/11, there there was a lot of friction between Bin Laden and the Taliban. So even the the simplistic narrative that the Taliban allowed Bin Laden to be there and encouraged him to be there and wanted him to be there and was somehow involved in 9/11 is just a fiction. There's no tie at all between the Taliban and 9/11. So this just is pure vindictive spite.
0: Yeah, it's really disgusting. It's the type of thing you could you know. It's much more. There's, there's maybe, maybe I'm being naive, but it's kind of more, it's very Republican, but sadly there's so, there should be more of a difference between Republicans and Democrats. But this is the type of thing that you could even see Democrats, well, I guess Jayapal does, but you can imagine in other contexts, perhaps Biden criticizing this if the Republicans did it.
2: Yeah, well, it's true. Joe Biden on the campaign trail pretended to be against many of the things that he's now imposing, including the Saudi mass murder campaign in Yemen. Where he claimed he was going to end U.S. support for that treat Saudi Arabia as a pariah. He got into office and he's continued all the Trump administration policies except for one, which he's actually now considering uh, reimposing. So, on um, in when Trump left office, one of his last moves was to designate the Houthis, Ansar Allah of Yemen, uh, as terrorists, and that that base and that's the main uh, opposition force in Yemen that are fighting the Saudis right now. The Saudis are bombing right. the Houthis, Ansar Allah. And so trump designated in the terrorist organization that move had the consequence which was deliberate of essentially cutting off aid to all the areas under houthi control which is the bulk of the yemeni population uh so because because they're under sanctions that basically meant that us that, that aid groups could can no longer deliver aid now biden came in and he reversed that decision but now he's actually considering reimposing it so the one good thing that biden has done in yemen he's actually considering undoing And he's continuing to support the Saudi campaign. Biden also criticized Trump sanctions on Iran, especially during a time of COVID. Biden has not lifted a single Trump sanction. He he might have eased a couple of things, but he's basically kept the Trump sanctions policy intact. So Biden has a record of opposing Trump policies, sadistic Trump policies, but then continuing them when coming into office.
0: You know what Biden's most honest thing that he ever said was? Was that? nothing would fundamentally change. That's right. (laughs) That was his most honest talking point, which was something he said behind closed doors to donors. But you got it. You got it. Whenever, whenever, you know, that is his moral compass, I believe. That's the the, the tie that binds. That's the thread that goes through all of this.
2: He's very cozy with the uh, person who he said would treat as a pariah, which is Mohammed bin Salman, giving him all the weapons in the world and continuing to support the bombing campaigns that are killing many civilians.
0: Right. Yeah, well, I would say that that is indeed terrible. So those were the four basic food groups. And we're very excited to be bringing on our guest, Rania Kallek. Rania Kallek is a world traveling journalist. She's with Breakthrough News. She's been all over the world doing really important journalism. She's going to be joining us from Beirut, where she is based. She's going to be talking about what it's like living in that region. She's also going to be talking about her recent trips to Cuba and Ethiopia. And without any further ado, Rania Kallek.
2: Alright, I'll do Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month and six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on Us. Mintmobile.com slash switch.
1: Upfront payment of forty-five dollars equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month, face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 53124. Get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply. If rated PG.
0: So excited to be talking to Rania Kallick. Welcome, Rania. Hey
1: guys, I'm so excited to be on.
0: Tell us about your recent trip to Cuba. You're based in Beirut and we'll talk about that, but let's start with your most recent trip. What you saw there, what you learned there.
1: Well, I went to Cuba and it was terrifying, just like Marco Rubio said. No, it was right. uh, No, Cuba was incredible. It was a really incredible experience. I think it it's it was cool to go there because it's a place I've al- I've always wanted to go. Um, which I think a lot of leftists feel like that. Uh, but to actually be there was It was like bittersweet because right now Cuba is going through a very difficult economic crisis, uh, which is largely the result of the 243 new sanctions that Trump imposed on Cuba that uh, deliberately attempted to attack its main sources of income, including like remittances and uh, attacking the tourism industry, attacking the medical brigades that Cuba sends around the world. And then Trump, I mean, uh, Biden, Freudian slip, Freudian slip has right. left. has Not only has he left those sanctions in place, he's actually added new sanctions post July 11th, which if people don't know what that is, it was last year on July 11th. My birthday. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Biden was <laughs> Katie's birthday provoked Biden to add sanctions on Cuba. In addition to Uh, you know, thousands of Cubans uh, protested in the streets last July against sort of deteriorating living conditions that were a direct result of the new uh, sanctions that Trump imposed on Cuba. Uh, But also there was also a lot of U.S. involvement in trying to like organize these protests. So yeah, there was like some legitimate frustration in the streets as well as some like subversive activities that went along with that. And so after that, Biden added new sanctions. So the bitter part of being there was just seeing this really amazing place Uh, have all these difficulties, all these shortages that are just, you know, affecting people's average day, like having to wait in line for hours just to get like basic items, having, you know, electricity cuts, though, not as bad as Beirut, not nearly as bad as Beirut had more electricity there than I do here, which is funny, but, um, also just the medicine shortages, you know, we visited pharmacies and that was one of the most amazing parts of being there. And I'll get to that was the medical system there. But the medicine shortages are really creating some serious problems. Like there's rare diseases people are dying from, but also like, it's really difficult to even get just painkillers and anti-inflammatories like Motrin. Like if you have a fever, you know, how are you going to break your fever if you don't have like Tylenol or Motrin and that is, you know, deliberately happening because of the U S blockade, which has been in place for obviously for six decades now, but the last two years have been really horrible because it on top of the sanctions was also the destruction of the tourism industry because of Trump undoing Obama's normalization, but also because of COVID. Uh, So that really hit the tourism industry hard. So there was sort of like a depressive feeling in the atmosphere. You know, you go to restaurants in Cuba and the first thing a server will do is tell you what is on the menu, like as in like what is available that's you know, an option on the menu. So it's not like people are starving. It's the government is definitely mitigating the worst impacts of it. And I would say, because it's a socialist government, it's managing the, 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 to mitigate the worst impacts of it because of that. Unlike some other countries like Syria's having a way more difficult time dealing with sanctions. Uh, and so is was like uh, Venezuela um, for different reasons. But anyways, that was the sad part. The cool part though, was I mean, Cuba's amazing. Like everyone there is so politicized and so like, and just so anti-imperialist, so socialist, so educated. And their medical system is what was, I think the most amazing part of being there. Like We went to these clinics that are free, like they have this layered system of preventative care in Cuba where every neighborhood, like per like 1500 people, there's a doctor. In your neighborhood, who you see from when you're like from when you're born, and this is a doctor that you can go to with any ailment you have. These doctors, it's like a neighborhood doctor who takes visits at, in, in their home. Basically, has a part of their home devoted to like that service, and this is like the first layer of care. And they, for people who are disabled in the neighborhood or who are elderly, they actually go out and check on them every few days. I actually went on some home visits, and they just like take their vitals. So there's this. They're really focused on prevention, but like, if there's something wrong with you, that this, this neighborhood doctor can't help you with, then you go to the public clinic. Right. And that's also in your neighborhood. And this is where you can go get like diagnostic testing, x-rays, you know, get your blood drawn, whatever. There's a rehab facility. If like you have, you know, physical therapy, it's, it's kind of like an, you know, that sort of, you know, half hospital, half clinic, and it's free, completely free. And then if they can't help you there, they'll send you to a bigger hospital. If they can't help you there, they'll send you to like a specialist. But it's this really holistic way of dealing with medicine where medical school is free, medical care is free. And the people who serve like who as doctors, like it's considered like such a big honor to be a doctor. Like the way in the US will be like, thank you for your service to like a soldier. In Cuba, that's how they are with doctors. And it's like, it's really incredible to see and with nurses as well. And so just having you know, growing up in the U S and dealing with the medical system there, where you're just like scared to go to the doctor. That was, you know, cause you don't want to go bankrupt. That was one of the coolest parts of being in Cuba. And just also, I got to visit their vaccine production facilities and talk to the people who were involved in developing their vaccines. Cuba's developed five COVID vaccines, two of which have efficacy rates as high as like Pfizer and Moderna. And this, I mean, 90% of Cuba's population is vaccinated without a mandate, which shows you the level of trust there is in the public healthcare system there and just the government in general, uh, unlike in the US. And they were able to vaccinate this many people, but it, actually they were prevented from doing it sooner because the US blockade prevented their ability to get raw materials for certain vaccine components. So their production took longer Ring than it should too, have. Right? For what? Syringes yeah, syringes. Yeah, there was a yeah. syringe shortage as well because basically Cuba, the blockade prevents Cuba from being able to purchase anything uh, that has ten percent or more of U.S. materials in it. So if something is has like a component in it that is from the U.S. and it makes up ten percent or more of the product, you cannot sell it to Cuba, or you will face financial penalties as a company. In addition to that, any ship that docks in Cuba cannot dock on any U.S. shores for six months, even if it was delivering like humanitarian aid. And I mean, the U.S. is like the biggest, uh, like it's the biggest market in the hemisphere. So like that, it doesn't make sense as a company to stop in this little tiny island nation of 11 million people to for to ship products and then not be able to go to the US for six months. So it's, I mean, but this is you know, and this is again, this has been in place for six decades and Cuba's found ways around it, but they're going through a really difficult time right now just because it's gotten so much more restrictive and so much more severe. And despite the fact that he ran on, on like undoing some of the most disastrous aspects of, of Trump's policy towards Cuba, which was by the way, designed by Marco Rubio and John Bolton. Uh, Biden has done the complete opposite. Even the New York Times said that Biden has taken a harder line on Cuba than Donald Trump. So it's just the, you know, the one last thing I'll add before I like ramble on too much about it is, you know, one thing that people there kept telling me is they feel like progressives in the U S which have traditionally been actually pretty supportive of Cuba, not all of them, but a good chunk of them because Cuba is like a, it's like, you're sort of socialist utopia kind of country, right? It doesn't have the, you know, all that baggage that maybe other countries have when we talk about like the Soviet Union or the Eastern Bloc or whatever other countries that everybody that like the US has propagandized against so much to the point where you can't even like celebrate the good aspects of them. Cuba is that really like kind of beautiful socialist model that a lot of leftists in the US, at least traditionally have like looked up to. And so one thing that people who interact a lot with the US um, or with people in the US have said is they feel like that support has been waning in the last 10 or 15 years. One person even told me they can't even get like a meeting with AOC. Um, They can get a meeting with Republicans in Congress but they can't get a meeting with AOC. And they didn't blame her for that. They blamed the, the climate in the US. Like if AOC were to meet with anyone affiliated with Cuba She would be immediately targeted with like attack ads, whereas Republicans are more willing to meet, like just to even talk about like the visa process for Cuban Americans, for example, you know, things that aren't even related to like other aspects, just basic things that like you would need to do for your own Cuban constituency. She like won't even meet about that or her her people won't because they're so terrified of touching Cuba. So that was something that was like reiterated to me by quite a few people they feel like they're losing the propaganda against Cuba inside the U.S. domestically has worked on a significant portion of, of progressive Americans.
2: I stand with Venezuela where like I remember when Trump launched this coup to oust Maduro and install this puppet Juan Guaido, the prevailing progressive democratic narrative was not like we oppose coups because we don't have the right to destroy a foreign country with an economic blockade and try to choose their leaders. The message was we're against military intervention in Venezuela. But it's like that wasn't the issue. The U.S. was not going to invade Venezuela. The issue was the coup. And they couldn't bring themselves even to just forcefully and principally Denounce a coup, and it's. I, I, th- I think eventually they. Some people came around to it, but it's just. It, it speaks to the power of the Florida lobby, right? right. The yeah. exile lobby in Florida, even though Democrats have kind of they've they've lost Florida many times now. So I don't know what,
1: and they're not going to get it back.
2: Not going to get it back. So you know, and, and and other factors too, including Russiagate, I think. But that's another story. But it's um it's crazy. <laughs> I, I wanted to ask you. Um, you met Americans who are studying to be doctors in, inside Cuba, right?
1: Yeah, so there's the Latin American Medical School, um, or ELAM as they call it, uh, which is kind of famous. It's this medical school in Havana that is free, uh, that people, it has students from 92 different countries. All of them are developing countries, like students from, you know, African countries, from Middle Eastern countries, Pal- including Palestine, uh, students from Asia, students from across Latin America, right? And it also accepts students from the U S from like, from basically from low income communities in the U S and you get medical school totally for free. And I actually wish I had included this in the video that we made about this because so many people asked afterwards, but yes, the education that American students receive at the school does count when they come back to the U S right, it's accredited practice they can practice medicine. It's accredited through some university in California. So it's considered legitimate medical school education. And the women we met, uh, it was all women that we talked to. I think there was like one guy, there was like nine Americans studying in this particular class of second year students. And they were from, you know, there's women from New York. There was a couple, there was one from Chicago. There was one from Philly. There was one girl from Missouri. Um, almost all of them, except for one were, were black, uh, which I thought was interesting because. That was one thing I saw in Cuba over and over is a lot of the medical professionals I met were like black women, which is like the, I mean, Cuba has a pretty big black population, you know, because of the history of slavery uh, in Cuba, which is not that different from what happened in the US. But they've, you know, there's still issues of racism in Cuba. Obviously that exist anywhere you have racial differences, but it's, they really have tried to eliminate the barriers that existed for people of African descent in Cuba. And while it's not perfect, it's like kind of utopian compared to the U S like in the U S if you have a doctor, you're probably going to end up seeing a white guy in, depending on which neighborhood you live in, of course. But in Cuba, it was like everywhere we went, it was just like women and black women. And it was, you know, it was just like a different experience. But anyway, so these black women from low income communities in the U S go there and study for free. And it's really useful for them. They could go to a medical school in the U S they didn't go to Cuba just because it was free, but it was part of it because in the U S you come out of medical school in such a huge amount of debt that unless you have rich parents, you're sort of forced to like pick a specialty that makes a lot of money. So you can pick so you can pay back the debt. Um, otherwise, you know, who knows how long it will take. Uh, and so in this Radiology case the, or anesthesiology, for instance, and, or dermatology. That's another big one. Um, but yeah, exactly. You no, know, anesthesiologists make a crazy amount of money. And all they do is like inject you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um,
0: but just look at pictures.
1: That's all they do is they read, and it's important. It's important, course, but yeah. I don't know why that's like, you know, why don't I don't know why that is compensated more than say like being a family doctor or like an sure. internist or whatever. So Anyways, this basically gives these women the freedom to go back to their communities and practice medicine and maybe specialties that aren't going to make the most amount of money, but they're debt free. So they don't have to worry about it. So it's like really cool. And then they're also, you know, one thing they told me and anybody who wants to see this can go watch it at Breakthrough News on YouTube.
0: These were great videos. Congrats.
1: Thank you. And there's more to come. But um, the one thing that they said too, that was, that really stuck with me was the fact that they also liked the way that Cuba taught, one of the reasons they, they wanted to go to medical school there is they like the way they teach medicine. It's more holistic. It's more based on prevention. It's like more human-based rather than profit-based. And so they feel they can give better care that way. Uh, and so that was, that was a really cool experience to see like the medical stuff. It's easy to say it. And maybe it doesn't sound that exciting when I say it, but when you grow up in the U S as I'm sure most of your audience is in the U S and then you go to a place like Cuba and just see how, like how this poor country, that is poor because of the US, because the US like has it under siege, spends all of its revenue basically providing medical care for everybody and education and free education for everybody. If even they can do it, like it really tells you something about the US system because you know, everyone's always like, oh, we can't afford it because we spend all this money on war. But like, I'm not saying I don't want war to end, but actually the US totally could afford both war and healthcare. They just choose not to. They just choose to have a for-profit system that profits off of people getting sick right. in
2: banking. I've never heard you. So you are basically pro-war, but also. Yeah. That's pro- what people overall. are going to take away. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> that's well, that's, that's interesting. Honestly, you can maybe attract more people because maybe we're losing the pro-war crowd <laughs> Yeah. By being anti-war while we're also California. advocating for Medicare if for all. Cuba can do yeah.
1: it. Yeah. If Cuba can do it, surely the U.S. war state can. But no, obviously those two things go hand in hand because the U.S. is a war state. It's war. It's a war economy. It's a military economy based on constant conflict and controlling the world and its resources. So by definition, you can't. You're never going to have a universal people first healthcare system in a country that literally profits off of destroying the world. It's not possible. I guess I'm just speaking to those people who like are like, how are you gonna pay for it? And it's like, well, Cuba figured out how to right. pay for it. So that's not actually the problem. It's literally just that the US, and it's the only developed country that doesn't. Like, there's no, I mean, you're Canadian, Aaron. Like, I have family that lives in Canada and I always tell my parents they immigrated to the wrong country. Like, if you were gonna move to a settler colonial country, you should have picked one that at least was gonna give me free care. No. <laughs> yeah, I, I've been to Cuba
0: three times and under Clinton, under Obama, mm-hmm and under Bush. And I've been always been so shocked about how much like how many black people and black women you see in in high up positions, like you see professors, doctors, politicians.
1: Yeah, Yeah, like, I'm not trying to be like a class reductionist here in any way whatsoever. But I do think that there is absolutely something to be said about socialism, being able to have a more equal system when it comes to giving people opportunities and that's what's happened in cuba and that's why you see people of like african descent who are despite the fact that there are still big inequalities that exist they're not as big they're not nearly as big as the u.s and actually what people told me who are involved in working on this issue is that the u.s blockade actually makes it more difficult to deal with issues of racism because the u.s blockade is like it it the, the most vulnerable communities are black communities in cuba which is actually mostly the case, then if you're going to economically materially ruin the country, those are the people who are going to hurt first and more. And so that's always been an issue uh, that people are still dealing with till now. But like that said, it's, I mean, I just can't, it's like the polar opposite of the U S like everywhere you go, there's people who are in positions of power and not in like a fake way. Like in the U S it's like a fake way. It's like the, right. It's like an actual, it's not just because, Oh, we're going to like give a quota to this many people. It's because there's actually opportunities for people across like the spectrum, both. And I'm talking gender equality too. Like I was also impressed by the number of women I saw in positions of not just power, but like at the vaccine institutes like the head of the COVID task force in cuba is a woman and that was really cool to see but it's like also when you talk to these people what i thought was so cool especially about the scientists and doctors is how politicized they are like they all talk about the revolution and fidel castro's contribution and che Guevara's contribution and the importance of socialism over capitalism and in the u.s it's like the medical and scientific community you never hear that kind of stuff from them. And in in fact, it's like, there's kind of an indifference to politics and it's, you know, and if there is any politics involved, it's always pro-capitalism. So that was like really cool to see people be so politicized in like a really revolutionary way who are like the heads of a, you know, vaccine production facility. Like their main vaccine, Soberana, actually means sovereignty. Like that's that's just the way Cuba works.
2: And I think while you were there, didn't they unveil this new, effort to, uh, send their vaccine around the world to countries that need it.
1: Yeah. And that's a part of Cuba's medical internationalism. Cuba, Cuba sees its entire medical like institution, its entire biomedical industry. They have like a really advanced biomedical, bio- biomedical, uh, industry because in the eighties, like Fidel Castro was like, we have to invest in this. Like we have to invest in this so we can like depend on ourselves. And they did. And that's why they have so many vaccines. That's why they are always making breakthroughs before other countries. It's because of the fact that they invest the little money they have in this. And part of like their entire idea of internationalism is to share that with the world, particularly the developing world, particularly the rest of Latin America, Africa, the Middle East, Asia. And that's one thing that I think is really unique about Cuba. And they have these medical brigades that they send around the world to really impoverished areas that offer medical care to people in places that literally have never seen a doctor in their entire lives, right? Like really rural parts of Brazil and Venezuela and Bolivia. And, you know, the Trump administration made an effort to attack the medical brigades. Uh, They even pressured Ecuador and Brazil to kick out the medical brigades. And what they say is they say that, Cuba is human trafficking doctors, that these doctors are actually slaves. Because in some cases, depending on the country, Cuba actually makes revenue off of the medical brigades, like countries that are able to pay. Like the Brazilian government would pay a stipend to the doctors, who would actually make more in Brazil than they do in Cuba, by the way. That's, and, and then they would also pay a certain amount to the Cuban government for facilitating these medical brigades. And so the US was like, oh, these are like this, this is human trafficking, these are slaves without any evidence. And so anyways, this is also meant to like discourage countries from accepting the help. And we're talking about countries that if they don't accept the help of these brigades, the people who are getting the medical treatment will literally not have access to another doctor. So Ecuador and Brazil push out these doctors at the behest of the U S and they, and then the Bolivian coup happens in 2019. And the first thing Janine Anyas did, one of the first things she did when she took over as like the fascist coup leader in Bolivia, backed by the US, was she kicked out the Cuban doctors. And she kicked them out under the auspices that, oh, they're spies, they're spying for the communists. Uh, that's what they'll say in Venezuela. They'll say that Cuban doctors are only giving medical care to people who vote for Maduro. Um, but, anyways, I actually interviewed a lot of doctors when I was in Cuba. I specifically interviewed uh, a doctor who's in the Henry Reeve Brigade. The Henry Reeve Brigade was formed after 2003 when Fidel Castro offered to send uh, this basically like a group of doctors to New Orleans after Hurricane Katrina to help provide medical care for people in this like disaster zone. And George Bush rejected it, of course. And so he was like, we're gonna start like basically a special operations force of doctors that goes to disaster zones free of charge. They're called the Henry Reed Brigade. Um, And they did, they sent them to Haiti after the big earthquake. Haitians love Cuban doctors. By the way, they sent them to uh, Pakistan after a natural disaster there. And the, one of the guys I interviewed actually went with the Henry Reeve Brigade to Italy um, after the first the big Covid outbreak in, in northern Italy, back in like March or April 2020, whenever that was. So I asked him, I was like, are you a slave? <laughs> are you a spy? Like, how do you respond to these allegations? And the guy laughed at me that interview eventually will come out. We're like, we've got a lot of content we're working on, but he says, he said something really funny. He was like, he was like, first of all, this is totally voluntary. Like I'm not a slave, but second of all, like a spy, like I, I don't, there's no time to spy. Like even if I wanted to spy, no one has time. Like we have way too much to do when we go to these places. So I thought that was funny. Cause he had like a sense of humor about it, but anyways, it's just absurd. And the the Democrats, particularly Bob Menendez, he's a Democrat, right? Yeah. Like one of the most hawkish ones. Yeah. Like we'll still, this is like one of his rallying cries is he's, he's like these Cuban doctors. We can't like telling South Africa to kick them out, please. Because By accepting these cuban doctors you're accepting you're like accepting cuban regime slavery and just bs like that it's so gross and is
2: such a monster (laughs) he's such (laughs) such a horrible
0: they're just horrible horrible. i mean like what politicizing i mean yeah basically what they want to do is have people just drop dead
1: yeah i mean that is the end result of it well you know the the reason they do this the reason they're actually doing, I mean, that's the monstrous thing that they're doing. That's the monstrous outcome. But the reason they're doing it is because they're just trying to strangle Cuba. Like any way that the Cuba that, that Cuba's economy yeah. gets any revenue, they want to shut it down. Right. And so attacking these medical medical brigades on top of just being insanely cruel and basically denying life-saving care to people who otherwise wouldn't have it is just to attack. I mean, one of the other horrible things they did under Trump that Biden's kept in place is prohibiting remittances. I mean, all across the developing world, people depend on remittances from family living in Canada or the U S or Europe. And so in Cuba, like, but, and then what's crazy to the crazier part of the remittance thing is like all of these companies in Miami have cropped up to make money off of that. So like, okay, now you can't send money through Western union anymore. Western union would maybe take like, like 5%, depending on how much you're sending like 5%, which is actually a lot picking 5% uh, uh, or whatever their like percentages. Like you have to pay a certain percentage of it to the the wire service. So now there's these like Miami-based services that have cropped up that'll take 30 or 40% when you send a few bucks to your family in Cuba. So there's also like an entire industry of Cuban exiles in Miami that profit from the blockade in these kinds of ways.
0: And to hear the rest of the interview, please go to usefulidiots.substack.com. That was great.
2: That was awesome. Talking great talking to Rania. Always learned yeah. from her.
0: Always learned so much.
2: From Cuba so much. to Lebanon. A lot from the of river great work. To the sea, yeah. A lot of and great just, work. you know, the common theme of like, she's covering places where the lesson is if you dare try to chart your own course and be independent and not be a U.S. subject, you're going to be terrorized. Yeah. And um, I really appreciate all the work she does to shine a light on that.
0: Me too. This little light of hers, mm. she's going to let it shine.
2: <laughs> Indeed. Indeed. Indeed.
0: Yeah. All right. Well, make sure that you uh, subscribe to Useful Idiots on YouTube, youtube.com slash Useful Idiots. Make sure you join our Substack. stack. Uh, we're going to have a great extended interview with Rania where we talk about Syria, ISIS, Ukraine mania. It's definitely worth joining for that. And that's at uh, usefulidiots.substack.com. Plus you get the audio from our Monday mornings live, which is great content. And make sure to tune in uh, for our Monday mornings and for our call in on Monday. Bye. Bye. Hello, thank you so much for listening to and watching Useful Idiots. For full episodes and extended interviews, please subscribe at UsefulIdiots.substack.com. You can subscribe on YouTube at YouTube.com slash UsefulIdiots for clips, live streams, and full episodes. Also, subscribe to us wherever you find your podcast. Follow us on Twitter at UsefulIdiotPod and use the hashtag UsefulIdiotsPod. Join us Mondays at 10 a.m. for the Useful Idiots Monday morning show where we discuss the Sunday morning news shows so you don't have to watch them.